Welcome in to the OMR Podcast. I'm Scott Peterson, international content creator and marketing editor at OMR, the home of the OMR Festival, which, as you may know, took place last week. Now, this week, we have a special episode for you. Our guest host today, Florian Heinemann, founder and CEO of German VC fund Project A, was at last week's festival and had a chance to catch up with iPod inventor and godfather of the iPhone, Tony Fidel. Now, Tony spoke at the inaugural Future Moves Mobility Summit at OMR 22 and afterwards found time to sit down with Florian and talk about pitching the iPod to Steve Jobs, leading the iPod team for over a decade, and how he shaped the earliest iterations of the iPhone. He also went on to discuss tech's role in combating climate change and his connection to the famously unfamous Silicon Valley company, General Magic. That's all coming up right now in this special episode of the OMR Podcast. Welcome, Tony, and thanks for taking the time to be here. Can you just give the audience a little bit of, you know, a rundown who you are, what you've done in, in your career so far? That's much better than I. Oh, I, okay, I I'll try. Yeah. Um, so I'm Tony Fidel. I um, I was in Silicon Valley for 30 years, something like that, and I I have been in building companies before I went to Silicon Valley. So I had multiple startups before I went to Silicon Valley, but I went to Silicon Valley specifically to go and join a company called General Magic. Mm -hmm. And General Magic was a company that was born out of the team that created the Macintosh. Mm. So the people who created the Macintosh, minus Steve Jobs, created this new company. And it turned out it was building the iPhone just 15 years too early. And I was the youngest guy for a period of time till I got older. But um, I was the youngest person doing whatever I could to go work with my heroes. And that was a, a, an incredible experience and a spectacular failure because making the iPhone 15 years too early, you was... You, you didn't hear about it, right? And there's a great movie about it called General, the General Magic Movie. I recommend a everyone to watch it if you're listening to this podcast because there are so many lessons to be learned in that. You might not recognize me, mm -hmm. but uh, the stories are worth hearing about because they really can help you with your the things you're building mm -hmm. as well. So then that was General Magic. I went from General Magic to Philips Electronics mm -hmm. where I took my ideas and created a division called the Philips Mobile Computing Group that turned into the Philips Velo and Nino, which were handheld mobile mm -hmm. computers. Then from that, I started my own company um, to do, be the Dell of, uh, Dell of Consumer Electronics. Um, so configure to order home theaters, digital home theaters. Um, and that was called Fuse Systems. And that died because of the internet crunch that happened, the financial crunch that happened in 2000, kind of what we're going through right now with, mm -hmm. with all that stuff going on. From that, then the iPod, and was able to, uh, as a consultant, create the iPod and then sell it to, or pitch it to Steve. He said yes and went off and led that team in 18 generations of the iPod. After that, did the iPhone with a group of people um, and uh, did three generations of that, then left, did Nest, the thermostat, the smoke detector, smoke CO detector, and a bunch of other things. Um, and now I am uh, uh, principal at Future Shape, mm -hmm. which is an investment advisory firm. We're uh, mentors with money. So mm -hmm. we have 200 companies all around the world that we've invested directly in, um, and we help them try to realize their dreams and help them, you know, uh, with whatever their hard thing they're building, disruptive technology they're building, and trying to make sure they tell the story in a broad way so that we can um, impact the most lives in the best way possible. Okay, perfect. Uh, let's talk about that in, in a minute. Okay. I just want to jump back to, to the Apple time because obviously that, that's what, what, what people are interested in. One, one thing that often pops to people's minds is when you guys like started creating the iPod and also started creating the iPhone, right. Um, 
what kind of role did like the software element of it play? So like the iTunes store and and like from the beginning from, sure, uh, sure. And, and also the App Store, was it like from the beginning part of the conception of that device? For iPod? For iPod and well, also... Yeah, so there was no App Store ever for the iPod, just to be clear. No, but the, but the iTunes kind of Yeah, element. sure. Mm -hmm. So... so iPod could have never existed with iTunes without iTunes. Mm -hmm. They they came together as a as a package. Mm -hmm. And the way that the iPod or the need for the iPod was discovered was that iTunes was already shipping mm -hmm. and iTunes was all about, you know, ripping your CDs and creating MP3s, but then you would burn CDs mm -hmm. or you'd listen to them on your computer. Obviously, that's not a very great way to go on the go with things. Mm -hmm. So what we did um so what they did was they tried to connect to all kinds of mp3 players at the time most of them from korea and they were a horrible experience either they didn't hold a lot of songs mm -hmm. or they had a ton of songs but they had a horrible interface they were big heavy and none of them had good battery life any of that stuff so they were just they were interesting things but they weren't really useful mm -hmm. um, and that's where the idea was oh well what if apple was to make the apple version of a of a, a mp3 player what would that be And that's where I was brought in as a consultant to design that. Mm -hmm. And um, and I took the technology and, and some of the people from the company I had, uh, Fuse, and became the basis of what would then become the iPod. Mm -hmm. What would you say? I mean, some people say, uh, basically, if, if Apple would have been smarter about it and would have introduced Apple Music sooner, something like Spotify wouldn't have happened. So, so I mean... You know, in a sense, uh, would it have been smart to basically say, in hindsight, to introduce the uh, not pay by uh, one by one kind of model? As But go to streaming. Go to streaming earlier. With so, the, so again, so yeah. So the uh, the the music store was added in the third generation, and that mm -hmm. really took off because then people didn't have to rip their yeah. CDs; they could just download um, reliable, good music and get the artist paid. Um, but then after that. Um, there was always a question of streaming versus downloading. And that question was, it's twofold. One is, what does the consumer want? What does the person, the music lover want? And what was, what would the music labels allow? Mm, okay. They first allowed downloading because that was very similar um, to what was going on, purchasing music. But then go to streaming, no one had done subscription-based services before. There was a reason why Spotify was created. Not, Daniel's Daniel X, amazing genius and everything, um, and he was able to get the licenses from the music labels mm -hmm. because they wanted to um, basically have leverage over Apple, who was yeah. doing downloading. So they only let Spotify work in certain countries in Europe in mm -hmm. 2009. I was luckily in, in in Paris at the time and got my first Spotify account within minutes of Spotify opening up, and it was clear to me like that was. An incredible future. Like I, I, I'm a, a Spotify lover mm. um, to, to this day. But what Steve always said was, I don't want to do a streaming business because I'm going to take my customers spending two, three, four thousand dollars a month on music and turn them into seven ninety nine, you know, yeah. uh, subscribers. Mm. Right? He's like, why would I do that? Well, obviously, you can see the the mm -hmm. pros and cons of each and where the model went. Um, but yeah, so it took both the music labels allowing you to do streaming as well as what was the right idea that the you know, music lover wanted in terms of the relationship with their music store. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a very interesting question. I think you can learn a lot from from that if you're now an entrepreneur today, 
looking at that, you know, because it's not only about what is allowed, but all, uh, what is like, uh, or what's technically feasible, but also what is allowed basically by the license holders and that they have to get used to a certain model. Yeah, you it takes just some think time. About it, what, what's conceptually right, but you, you, you have to get people used to it. And it's also about power dynamics in the market, obviously. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, it's not like we didn't have streaming ideas back in 2005 and six. Mm -hmm. You know, those ideas existed because there was also Wi-Fi at the time, not just data networks. So you could talk about it, but then to not have the permission to do it from the labels, that's a different story. So mm -hmm. you have to, you know, it's all about the right timing. Yeah, understood. Um, I mean, before we, we jump to, because you obviously have done a lot of very interesting stuff and we only have limited time. I mean, could you, I mean, people obviously think, you know, of this uh, messianic uh, figure, Steve Jobs. <laughs> right. And, and the question, I'm, I'm a venture capitalist myself. I mean, what, what would you... And we also, you know, founders, especially today, have some kind, some type, uh, sometimes this kind of messianic type of status. Sure, sure. Um, and, and in the case of Steve Jobs, it's, that obviously has been justified. Yeah, absolutely. But what would you recommend? I mean, also from your investor perspective, is it like, I mean, Apple has has worked well, you know, the transition to Tim Cook and people were skeptical whether he could fill the big sure. issue. So what would you say today, I mean, how to handle, also as a founder, if you're yourself a messianic founder, how would you deal with this? I mean, you have to stay grounded. Yeah. You have to stay grounded and you have to have a great team around you who can challenge you. Yeah. You can't just get rise up and not have challengers because then you lose your footing mm -hmm. and you can stumble because you're off in la-la land and no one is pulling you back going, no, this is the reality of the situation. You can dream up new things. And there's a lot of people around you who will say yes all day long. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 of course. If you don't have somebody challenging, you know, even Steve Jobs had his own mentors and coaches around mm -hmm. him who challenge him. Mm. Right. And he would also accept it. Right. Because that's what I think only from people... the right people, yeah. only okay. from the right people, uh, not anybody. Um, and, and I'm not talking about the people who work for him. I'm talking there was people outside, mm -hmm. you know, either on the board or outside of Apple that were, you know, always, always he trusted them to keep him in check or they could talk about things. So you need to make sure you're you have that environment around you so that you actually think, um, think properly about the things you want to do, especially when you're doing things that the world's never seen mm -hmm. and consumers may need to um, adopt, you know, because it might be new behavior. You need to get a lot of good people around to to help you um, see clearly mm -hmm. where, where the future could be. And and when do you think it's like the right time to move out of this? Yeah, because obviously if you're Elon Musk, yeah, you, you cannot probably not continue until you're 70 or something. So a company like a Tesla Oh, maybe he could. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, it's really up to the individual. Yeah. It's really up to the individual. It, if they're not pushing themselves and pushing the companies and they just get comfortable, mm -hmm. well, then they should get out. In, in the book Build, I actually talk about here are the reasons why when you're a CEO, and it's called unbecoming CEO, when you want to st st step down from being a CEO, mm -hmm. right? And there's a whole list of reasons why you might want to consider that. Mm -hmm. um, and the biggest ones to me is, Either you've run out of ideas or you've run out of passion. You know, you we have I, I have founders in our portfolio in our 200 companies where it's like, I've been doing this 15 years. Mm -hmm. I want to do other things with my life. Mm -hmm. Just like I wanted to step away from iPod and uh, uh, iPhone. I had already done 18 generations. I'd done three generations of iPhone. I said, I think I've seen this script before. Yeah. It's time to do something new, learn something new. So unless you're really to bring that 100, 120% of yourself every day, right? Don't just sit back on your laurels and let somebody else take mm. those shoes that you feel really confident about. And then there's other ways to inform and 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 be a part of it 
without meddling. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing is these people can actually meddle if they mm. don't get away from yeah. the day to day. So, but I think it's a really good learning that even if you are like this messianic type of CEO, you think you are, you need to actively seek people that you still accept advice from yeah. and that tell you exactly this. Listen, you're not, you're a hundred percent, hundred ten percent anymore. Don't you, inhale your own yeah. exhaust or what the press <laughs> is saying or anything else. You got to yeah. stay really grounded. Yeah, but that's also why challenging times like this, you know, that we're currently in, sometimes not that bad. I I, I would argue for no, no, no. I think to, I. Yeah. Life is cyclical. There's yeah. ups and downs. You know, many ge this generation, newest generation, may have never seen a down. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is just another down, just like I had experience in 1991, year 2000. Some of us, the tech wasn't really affected by 2008, mm -hmm. but it's affecting. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Things will happen. But that's when you separate all the noise yeah. from the real companies. Look at what companies came out of 2001, 2003. There was Google, other th companies like that that came out of that those ashes of 2000. iPod came out of that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Airbnb so, came out Airbnb, of Airbnb, there's so many things. Like, yeah. So, so you know, that, that's the, exactly. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are downtimes. It's not the end of the world. The pendulum just keeps swinging. And yeah. then there'll be another up thing. There'll be another down. And just... You know, um, just understand that's how life works. And you just have to brace for those inevitable things, mm -hmm. you know, that that do happen. Um, and next time you see it, you might be a better prediction of like, eh, maybe it's not time to go all the way in. I need to pull back a little while it's getting, you know, there's a great saying that Warren Buffett has, which is when the greedy, uh, when, the, when there's lots of greed in the market, be scared. Mm -hmm. And when there's a lot of, uh, when a lot of people are scared in the market, be greedy. <laughs> And I remember in 2008, Steve Jobs, we had an executive team meeting and 2008 was just, it was, you know, the flames were happening. And uh, we had a big financial discussion about what's going on details. But then Steve summed it up as the best times to invest is when it's down, when the market's down, you can get the best people. They're being laid off. These companies that didn't have all the best uh, reasons for being now, all of a sudden, you might be able to acquire just the technologies or the individuals or mm. whatever, and you keep on your path, right? As long as you didn't get fat, dumb, and happy during yeah. those those crazy times. Yeah, if you, you always kept that, it lean all the way through. I mean, you also see that in venture capital returns. If you look at the funds that have been, you know, basically started 2008 to 2001, those are the funds that have built their portfolio during those times that really show superior performance. Because yeah. they're with those entrepreneurs who are going to stick it out. They're just yeah. not in for the easy money. They believe in their vision, their mission, yeah. their teams do. And yes, it may take seven, 10 years or whatever, but those 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 huge companies can be born out of these real tough times. Yeah, and building great companies takes five to 10 years anyway. Oh, minimum. minimally, yeah. minimally, yeah. minimally. Uh, you know, if you're, I always say if you're doing anything important, it takes 10 years to see mm -hmm. if it's really taken root and it's done something. Taken, uh, talking about another great company, you, you founded Nest. Yes. 2010, right? 2010 was the founding, um, yeah, and, April. And, and probably, I mean, today, climate tech, everybody's talking about climate tech and it's a big thing. I mean, what made you, I mean, see, you were probably one of the earliest, you know, climate tech type entrepreneurs. I mean, what made you see this development and wh why did you start this this company? And yeah. Oh, I always cared about the environment even when I was a kid. So so that was always in me. It wasn't I was going there because there was an opportunity. I always cared about, you know, a, uh, and, and in engineering in general and in design, I hate waste. Mm -hmm. I hate waste of space. I hate waste of money. I hate waste of um, user clicks. Mm -hmm. You know, every click should be important. So anytime I see waste, I abhor it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I uh, had, a, had a house in Tahoe 
where it could either go up and it would be cold or it'd be warm, but I couldn't set the thermostat mm -hmm. remotely and only there periodically, right? So you set the thermostat and you're wasting lots of energy and money or you're really cold for a day until it warms up. So mm -hmm. which is it gonna be? Mm -hmm. So hacking and hacking and hacking on trying to make third party things to work was really hard over a span of like eight years or something and I gave up. Mm -hmm. But then ultimately when I was building a new house that I wanted to be green, I said, well, there's gotta be better products. Mm -hmm. There still weren't. Mm -hmm. It was still the same trash that I saw. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, time to fix it and innovate and design my own thermostat and then worked with Matt Rogers to implement it. And then we created Nest um, that you know people know, know now. Would it have been a possibility to start it within Apple because like, you know, the, the iPod, the iPhone, and then as next kind of a smart home division mm, for, or do you no, think? No, I don't uh, think so. Uh, I, I think that, you know, these are kinds of things of like, well, that seems over here, it mm -hmm. seems orthogonal to the business. Now today, it's really important, you mm -hmm. know, um, maybe not the devices themselves, but the platform where the devices connect to, right? So before Nest was acquired, we were still, everyone, you know, the big guys, Amazon, you know, Apple, Google, they were all looking at us like, what's this odd odd thing, this Nest thing? We were the biggest fish in a small pond. Um, but if you fast forward after we got acquired by Google, now Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Google, all of them have their smart home plays. And it's it's becoming more and more fundamental to the platforms and the, the people they serve. So to me, that's just shows that we had to do something outside the system to get the system to change. Mm -hmm. Understood. I mean, you sold relatively quickly. I mean, it was a great deal, like after four years. Did it- Five years. Oh, five years. Did it help you to, to accelerate kind of the distribution of the thermostat to be part of Google? Or would you think in hindsight, it would have also been possible to have the same kind of distribution and, and, and reach and impact without the help of a larger I think there's, there's one which is sales and distribution and logistics and mm -hmm. things. That's arguable. Mm -hmm. they, I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no, I don't know. But when you say it's changed so that people have access and have more choice in these types of technologies, these types of platforms, how they use, once again, if Amazon, Apple, Microsoft are all doing it, then... You know, it's a movement and it's and now we're seeing where, you know, this new standard actually that we created it at Nest called Thread and Weave. It's called now Thread and Matter. Amazon, Apple, all of them have got, gone around this new standard and said they're going to make sure that that protocol is supported, just like Wi-Fi was back in 2001. Mm -hmm. They've all gone around and said we're going to make products and and work with products that use this new protocols mm -hmm. and these new radios to make sure that we even have a much better network inside the home for these devices because mm -hmm. Bluetooth and Wi-Fi didn't cut it. Mm -hmm. So to me, did we make change? Absolutely. Are we done? No. Or is this smart home thing done? No. Um, I'm not in it anymore. But, every, you know, those generations of people who were born into it or born into the day-to-day the, the -day working on it, they're taking it forward. And I'm just so proud of seeing what we created at Nest live on, not just the Nest brand, but also these fundamental technologies that the biggest companies in the world are now adopting when we were just a little team and we were told, who needs another protocol? Who needs another? We were told like by the best people at Google, like, this is crazy. You shouldn't be doing this. And we showed them all. Mm. And 
that shows you that you can actually make change no matter what size you are if you're doing it for the right reasons. And I think that's a really interesting learning also for future entrepreneurs to see, okay, you guys not only built like a thermostat, but you actually built, you know, protocols. Protocols, uh, platforms, a developer thing, yeah, platform. Yeah. And and I think that's a that's a fascinating learning to see, okay, it's not just about a hardware device, but you, you, you can build a lot of, you know, competitive moat around you if you're able to do all these underlying technologies as well. So it's much more than just a hardware device. Exactly. And, and you know, you needed to surround it all and build a strategy that goes beyond just that product. And mm -hmm. that was always in the mind, mm -hmm. uh, always in my mind, um, since the beginning of Nest. I just didn't tell the venture capitalists that we're building this crazy thing because they'd be like, you're nuts. Yeah. You say, I'm just building this. That's fine. And then over time, you reveal the longer term vision and strategy mm -hmm. as you see success. Mm -hmm. But it was always in mind that that was where we wanted to go. That's why we put thread radios in our very first products because mm -hmm. we were like, this is this is a new standard that has to exist. Mm. So but I think that that is, I think, a, a very great, a cool message to also entrepreneurs to say, okay, to be really ambitious. I mean, whether you're actually able to live up to that kind of ambition level, always, you know, I have to see moving along the way. But I think being very ambitious from the very beginning makes makes an awful lot of sense. I think that is. That yeah, is no, no. Yeah. You, even if you, but you have to be measured. Too mm. many entrepreneurs, what they do is they say the whole vision of 10 years mm. and they scare Uh, they scare people. Hmm. They scare partners. They scare investors. You just have to make sure employees. you understand. What? <laughs> employees also. Employees too. They're <laughs> like, think we can't crazy. do all that. I, I'm going to be working here two yeah. hour, 200 hours a week hmm. um, to be able to do this stuff, right? So you can't you can't do that necessarily. Hmm. But um, but you, you have to understand where you're going so that you can be on the route to get there. Yeah. Now, you might not know that from day one, but it'll develop over time, but you should always be thinking beyond just this point product mm. because investors, employees, everyone's looking for a roadmap. Mm. They're looking for where this thing goes over time, not just the first thing. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. But talking about ambition level, are you more on the camp that climate tech will you know, save us and uh, save the planet from climate change? Or Is basically your opinion? No, we have to fundamentally change our behavior as human beings to save. Energies. We need both. We need both. Okay. We need both. First, personally and professionally, we each need to be either part of the problem, if or excuse me, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. Mm. So, if you are not doing something to make change or ask questions and changing your behavior, consumptive patterns at home, or helping to understand how to consume better or or at work and understand what you're doing and affecting the planet and asking the questions, even if you're not a leader. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be in a climate business to actually change your behaviors, right? So if you're not part of that solution, you are part of the problem, mm -hmm. right? You can't be apathetic, you can't be indifferent. If you are, you're part of the problem. You can't just say some magical check tech's gonna come up one day and I can just keep living my life. If you're consuming fast fashion, if you're getting a new cell phone every year, if you're like just, If you are morbidly obese, not mm -hmm. physically, but the way you think about the planet, then where do you think we're going to end up? So you're part of the problem. So professionally and personally, what are you doing to help? Now, on the technology side, there are tons of technologies. The brilliant thing is uh, I get to work with so many smart people every day on climate crisis uh, uh, solutions that I cannot, I cannot not be hopeful. Mm -hmm about what's to come, because I see this stuff five, 10 years down the road. All we need is more brilliant brains working on it, more capital working on it, get behind it and getting the will of the governments to support it, right? Mm -hmm. And to stop letting the incumbents trash the planet the way they are. Let these 
these challengers, these disruptors really go after these businesses. We see what's going on. Um, first with the pandemic, we saw what happened when we had less consumption. Oh, the planet got healthier slightly for a little while. Now we see what's also going on with the horrible tragedy in the Ukraine. And we're like, we got to cut ties, right? Look at what Germany's trying to do. We have to cut ties with that Nord 1, Nord 2 streams. We got to get rid of this stuff. Oh, maybe we should embrace nuclear again and not shut down those plants as much. You're seeing, you know, what has been buried for decades of energy dependence to dictators who we said, oh, no, they're going to play nice and everything. Well, guess what? They're not playing nice. They're doing horrible stuff in Ukraine who didn't do anything to cause it, right? That shows you what we need to change. And I'm I'm, it's a dark silver lining of the war, but to see that that's going to give us the political will and now we have a real enemy and really the enemy was created by ourselves because we became dependent on things we should never have been dependent on. Mm. Now we need to stop being a junkie. Mm. Yeah. We need to go to rehab and clean up and get 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 real on how we're going to treat this planet and stop living on the planet, but live with the planet. Mm. But if there's one positive element if you can say about this i think it will definitely accelerate the the, the oh, necessary behavior change this yeah. is the only thing an attitude change an attitude change and everybody goes what are we doing we have to stop um giving incredible resources to these tyrants and dictators and allowing these things to happen you know when you you look at the waste of these oligarchs mm. and you look at, you go what the hell mm. you know i i might have money but i'm not sitting here buying y multiple yachts and planes like you know at some point Where's this money going and what is being used for? It's not helping the people. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and at the same time, I mean, normal people in Russia, you know, uh, are, are getting suffering. poorer and poorer. Are yeah. suffering. And they're yeah. suffering from a war that they never wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's not. And and, yeah. and misinformation and, and mind control. It's 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 sick to watch. Yeah. Let's talk about your investment activity a little bit, if that's sure. okay. Future Shape, yep. you're, you're, you're investing mainly... In deep tech, but also in climate tech entrepreneurs, if I've, I've seen that correctly. Yeah, we're doing, well, mm -hmm. to me, deep tech is climate tech. It's anything, deep tech is anything that helps the planet, mm -hmm. helps societies, and helps health, mm -hmm. right? We want help on all of those dimensions. Um, and so what, what we're looking for is entrepreneurs with disruptive technology at the lowest levels. Mm -hmm. Because what I've learned is we are able to, small teams are unable to, are able to, Uh, unseat mm -hmm. the big guys mm -hmm. because they're doing stuff that the big guys don't have any knowledge about. Mm -hmm. and, and because it's so transformative that it can take off before they even recognize it, right? First, they laugh at you, then they sue you, and then they kind of join on. And that's happened at iPod, mm -hmm. happened at iPhone. Look at all the companies, Sony, Nokia, Siemens, you just name all at Motorola, all the companies that got decimated, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Blackberry, decimated by... We even did that at Honeywell came after us for its thermostats. They laughed at us, then they sued us. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So disruptive technology at the most fundamental levels that can unseat the incumbents so we can make them change their bad behaviors mm -hmm. by more or less shaming them and embarrassing by implementing really well. That is what I love. Mm -hmm. And that's what we love, those entrepreneurs who have that those visions, those ideas, and, um, and the execution Uh, excellence mm -hmm. to create those things and manifest them in the world. I couldn't be happier working with them because it's like I, I get to help them change the world mm -hmm. for the better. 
And what I found fascinating, I mean, obviously Silicon Valley last year, they still received most money. You know, I think they were like the largest metro, yeah. 105 billion of the 600 something billion in venture capital went into Silicon Valley. But you're doing it consciously outside of Sil Silicon Valley, right? So yeah, I, it's, it, I, how can I say this? When you're outside of Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. Um, you can find more things and more problems to solve and, and great people solving those problems. Um, when you're trapped in one area, or not trapped, but you're, you're only focused on one area, you only see the problems of that area. Mm. I love to get around the rest of the world because there's problems everywhere we can solve and there's no one magic bullet because there's different pain points around the world for climate or health or societal health um, that can be solved. And to get out in the field and find those people doing it, that's amazing. So it's just a... It, Technology has been uh, is 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 now democratized around the planet. It used to be capital and technology were in one place in the planet or mm -hmm. two places. Now it has spread out everywhere. Now you go to where the problems are mm -hmm. and the people solving them. It's not about the technology or the capital. So you would not recommend like to very talented entrepreneurs that you have to go to. No, absolutely to... not. Because no. usually the problems you're solving are local. Mm -hmm. And if they are local, it's best to be there with the customers and the teams who really understand them and they can be mission driven. Now, you might be able to take some an expertise or some capital or some networks from different places in the world, not just Silicon Valley mm -hmm. or the U.S., but take it from different places. So you have a, a diversity of talent and resources around you can help you not just build that business there, but maybe it goes to other places around the world because that it's a great model that can be replicated. Mm -hmm. So it's not avoid Silicon Valley, but you don't have to be just like it used to be 10 or 15 years ago. Like, I can't invest in you unless if an investor is saying I can't invest in you unless you're in Silicon Valley, uh, you probably want to leave that investor in the dust. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, with your reputation, your track record, it would have been easy to raise a fund. But if I understand correctly, you're investing mainly your own money. If that's yeah, only. And, and uh, I have no LPs. Okay. Why? why, why, why? I don't want any bosses. <laughs> I don't need any bosses. Okay. Um, and we have a very big, very big fund mm -hmm. um, or amount of capital deployed. So I get to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And what's the nice thing is, this is the constraint. Because there's only so much capital and our team's only so big, we can only do so many deals, so we have to stay focused, mm -hmm. right? Too many of these big firms get so much bigger. Do you think they might be as good as they used to be? Maybe not. No. Uh, not all of them. Um, so it's not just about, to, to me, then you're, is it about the money or is it about the mission? Mm -hmm. I care about the mission mm -hmm. and this nice self-limiting of these constraints that we have of you know how big our team is and how much capital we employ. I think it's really healthy. Mm-hmm. What's what's your view on 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 Europe in in that context? I mean, you've also been investing in Europe. We have lots of investments in um, Europe, and so so how do you see? I mean, the development here. Uh, I mean, do you see a positive trend? I mean, obviously, there's more money coming in also from the U.S. etc. Investing in European entrepreneurs. So, how do you see the the state of the European ecosystem also relative to to the U.S.? I believe me, these guys are investors. They wouldn't be coming here unless yeah. there's something very interesting, <laughs> right? Look at how many unicorns have been built in Germany and in France and mm. in, in the U.K. around. And now they're coming out of Spain. We're seeing some Portugal, mm. you know, even Belgium. So as far as I'm concerned, if the money's flowing here, there's a reason why the money's flowing here. It's because there's really smart ideas and problems to be solved. Mm -hmm. And so that's one one way to look at it. But the other one is I've been on the ground here now seven years mm -hmm. seeing these entrepreneurs, investing in them, seeing them be second and third time entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. right? And you're seeing this movement of not just individual startups, but 
the new grads that are coming out, the young students or people young in careers getting in and not just going and taking those corporate jobs and being on the corporate track. They're trying to make their own way in this world, not just what their parents did or what have you and saying, I'm going to just follow the lead. That is incredibly refreshing. And it reminds me of when I showed up in Silicon Valley in the 90s, mm. when it was gritty, small, you know, and and just make it happen spirit. I mm. love to see that. That's a very good word, I think, to end the podcast. Yeah. So basically to all the European aspiring entrepreneurs, I think that's very encouraging. And uh, thanks a lot for your time. And thanks a lot for all your insights. Thanks so much. And 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 just remember, you know, have a new book out called Build, mm -hmm. An Unorthodox Guide to Making Things Worth Making. <laughs> It's 30 years of taking all the lessons I've learned from my mentors in Silicon Valley and around the world, mm -hmm. distilling them down with stories to help entrepreneurs, helping anyone young in their career, older in their career, um, to build great things. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about tech. It can be applied to all kinds of media, arts, all mm -hmm. kinds of different domains because it's all about human nature. Mm -hmm. It's not about technology. Um, and so I encourage anyone to go out and try it, uh, go and read it or, mm -hmm. or go read the reviews. Uh, I think it'll help because that's really what you're trying to do. Just trying to give back. And all of the proceeds of this book mm -hmm. are matched five times by me and only go to a climate crisis focused fund to fund startups mm -hmm. or other companies doing really important things for the climate. And all of those proceeds of any investments go directly into climate philanthropic endeavors cool. to help it. So this is, if you're buying it, it can help yourself. And at the same time, it will help the planet. That's Or at least news. that's my hope is. <laughs> that's great news. So thanks a lot for your time, Tony.